Hey, it's Zach reminding you to check out the SV Pod with Scott Van Pelt and his sidekick, Stanford Steve. They bring you high-level sports analysis as well as stories about being dads to young kids. Hey, I'm a dad for young kids. I'm going to listen to that. That's the SV Pod. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast on a Monday afternoon where a lot of stuff is happening in the NBA, but we're going to start in Portland where... Mere minutes or hours after I recorded my podcast with Doris Burke on Friday, the Blazers fired longtime president of basketball operations, Neil Olshay, for violating their code of conduct. We're still trying to figure out exactly what that means and what it entails. Obviously, that throws an organization that was already in the throes of chaos into even deeper chaos. And to help suss out what might happen next... We bring in our closest, I guess our Pacific Northwest correspondent, the person we have that's closest to Portland with a Seattle Sonics banner in the background and a Seattle Kraken hat on his head. Kevin Pelton, how are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, I definitely consider myself the Northwest correspondent. Portland and Seattle, a lot of bad blood, a lot of bad basketball blood between those two cities. You know, not really so much in the basketball because the teams never played in a meaning. They didn't play a playoff series after, I, I want to say, 91. It was Gary Payton's rookie season. And there would have been an awesome rivalry, presumably, with Durant and Odin, except for a few few factors got in the way of that potential rivalry, alas. So- soccer, though, right? The Timbers against the, the Seattle Sounders? Is that the team? I, I was going to bring this up later in, in the context of maybe referencing our colleague, John Hollinger, who, what did Doris call him on the pod last week? The great John Hollinger that you objected yeah, I, to. I talked her I talked her down. I talked her down from that real fast. And I feel the same way because he was here on Seat, uh, in Seattle on Saturday for Gonzaga and Alabama playing at Climate Pledge Arena. And we sat next to each other and he spent, you know, most of the game rubbing in the fact that the Timbers were at that point clinching a spot in the MLS Cup final, whereas the Sounders have been knocked out early. Disgrace for the Sounders. Disgrace. I can't name one. I don't think I can name one MLS player, period. But I I feel comfortable saying that's a disgrace for the Sounders. Okay, KP. um, Everyone is asking, what does this mean for Damian Lillard? What's going on with Damian Lillard? Um, I think the early answer is it's hard to tell. I would say two things. Number one, Joe Cronin's been elevated to interim general manager. Interim general manager typically may not have the authority to do something as seismic as trade Damian Lillard if that were ever to become a thing. We'll see if that interim GM trend carries into this case, if that if that is true here. The other thing is, whenever there's a firing of a GM that was loyal to a particular player who had reportedly maybe somewhat been on the verge of perhaps dabbling in maybe emailing to himself a potential draft of a trade request at some point, um, there is the assumption that, well, naturally now that trade is more likely. I actually am not really convinced that's the case here, and I think it actually might be the opposite. Neil Olshay losing his job and, and it may actually, I think, work to the benefit of the Blazers keeping Damian Lillard. I don't, let's put it this way. I don't think Damian Lillard is, like, unhappy with that turn of events and the potential of, of Chauncey Billups maybe consolidating a little more power in the organization. Have you heard anything uh, about – is there any chatter out there about any of this? 
Well, I think the big question, you know, maybe not necessarily the chatter is what direction are they going to go with replacement? And there's a possibility that that direction they take is influenced by Damian Lillard and his agents, the Goodwins. Sharif Abdul Rahim was a longtime Goodwin client. He's one of the names that has been linked to this opening. Uh, you know, I think there are some others that would maybe be, you know, more closely aligned with the the Goodwin camp than some of the other possibilities. And if you take that path, I think you're basically you know, you're not turning your organization over to Damian Lillard, but you're committing to, I think both sides are committing to, you're going to continue this partnership going forward. All right, let's review sort of how we got here. The Blazers are under 500 again. They are 30th in defense after being 29th in defense last year and having Olshay blame it essentially on the coaching staff and not the roster. Well, the roster is the same. The coaching staff has changed. The defense remains terrible. Despite the fact that Chauncey Billups has overhauled it completely and has Yusuf Nurkic, poor poor Yusuf Nurkic. He's just a big galoot. He's out there blitzing pick and rolls like he's Chris Bosh in 2012 in Miami or something, and they're just getting roasted on the back end of that, giving up a ton of threes, a ton of corner threes. Offense is fifth. Um... They're still good, obviously, offensively. I think Nurkic has had a very sort of up-and-down season on both ends of the floor for them. Uh, it's just not going well. well. You and I already sort of talked about the how did we get here of the Blazers, uh, what were the hits and what were the misses of the Olshay era, how did we get to a point where the Blazers just sort of became this upper echelon mediocrity machine and, and nothing more, but also nothing less. I, th- I think their successes have kind of been whitewashed a little bit. Uh, in in the in the rush to kick Neil out the door, um, that said, now the only important question is where do we go from here? So let's start with the framework of framework A. We're keeping Damian Lillard, but we're trying to upgrade the roster around him. Naturally, that would involve trading probably C.J. McCollum and or Yusuf Nurkic and or Larry Nance Jr., whose name has not come up very much, but I think should come up in these kind of discussions because he's a very valuable player on a very valuable contract. Um, zooming out. What do you see as possibilities there, places they could look? How meaningfully could they even upgrade this roster? And obviously the name that's going to come up over and over again is Ben Simmons. Yeah, I mean, the the question is, if you're trading guys who are currently starters, you've got to get players better than them to upgrade those positions. And that's a much more difficult task than, you know, with the expiring contracts that they have. You didn't mention Robert Covington, who's also in the final year of his deal, like Nurkic. I'm, you know why? Because I'm out. I'm out on Robert Covington. Two years ago, I called him the most overrated player in the NBA um, and, and on this podcast, which caught me a little fire. I think, I think he's just fine. I think he's okay. And every year he looks a little slower to me. And the people, the Roco supporters say, well, he's... He's a great help defender. He's a great skills guy. He's not a great one-on-one defender. Fine. I don't trust his three-point shot. And if I don't trust his three-point shot, the twice a game where he pumps and drives and either makes or misses a floater or not, I just am not that interested in Robert Covington anymore. I'm sorry. Well, I still think he's got some value, certainly, as a trade piece, especially with, you know, the the Robert Covington admirers who were once consolidated in the Houston Rockets front office when they traded for him, now now spread throughout the league to multiple teams that could potentially trade for Robert Covington. So I, I still think that's in play. And that's kind of the easiest move to make because you've gotten to see a little to plug into that spot. And so if you can trade Robert Covington for something at another position, then you potentially you know, create value there. But that, again, that's a challenge is, 
you know, how many first round picks do you want to commit to trading? You know, uh, you've already are out. They gave up the two in the Covington trade, which have been satisfied. They gave up one going forward to get Larry Nance. Uh, it, it, over By the, the way, summer. both of which are trades I liked at the time, despite Same. the fact that I just called Robert Covington overrated, maybe even a little bit further than that. I thought he fit what the Blazers needed well enough at a time of sort of urgent, like win now upgrade time to merit that trade. And it, I don't think they've gotten the payoff that they envisioned in acquiring Robert Covington. And it's just sort of that's the pattern of this team is like they put a lot of assets into play that were either sort of check swing singles or didn't really pay off as well as it looked like it was good. Even Larry Nance has not moved the needle there. Now, we can talk about how Chauncey is using him. Is he using him enough as a backup five? Is he playing too many minutes as a four? I mean, that discussion has been had all over the interwebs. But there's just a lot of just a lot of decisions that were like ended up being grades of C that maybe look like they could be grades of B. And you add that up over time, whether it's we don't need to go through the slew of missed draft picks the summer of 2016 when they paid Turner and Crab and all that just didn't none of them quite really hit. You know what I mean? At some point, you got to hit something that didn't really hit. I mean, one thing I have been thinking about in the context of that conversation we had the last time I was on going through that track record is, you know, you said that they didn't have kind of that deal that just turned out amazing for them. And and I do think in the Olshea era that the Nurkic deal, getting him and a first round pick for uh, Mason Plumley, That's the one. It's pretty close. But the deal that they had that was that was when they trailed Gerald Wallace at the trade deadline in 2011, and that pick turned into Damian Lillard. And the interesting comparison point here is that happened in another situation where they were coming off this nice little run where they had you know, made the playoffs a few years in a row, had looked like a team that could have made a deep run, even though they kept losing in the first round. But it was the end of that era. They had changed coaches. They, they also had an interim GM at that point. It was Chad Buchanan was running the show because they had gone through a series of GMs after Kevin Pritchard and Rich Till were both fired. And that's when they got the deal. So can they get lucky like that again if they decide to like tear it down at this year's deadline, but not tear it down to the extent that they trade Dame? Well, let's talk about that then, because um, part of this is, you know, I, I wrote this story about them three years ago when I went out to Portland and, and hung out there for a week or so. And it was after they had gotten swept by the Pelicans in the 2018 playoffs and just destroyed. Just like Drew Holiday just ate Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum for lunch. Just could They just destroyed them. And that was the point at which they came very close to seismic change. I wrote this in the feature. Paul Allen, who would pass away sadly months later, walked into the locker room in New Orleans after that series and said, what just happened is unacceptable. He said the playoffs are the litmus test for any franchise. This is unacceptable. And everyone was like, whoa, something's going to happen. And in the end, they kept pretty much the whole team. They kept Terry Stotts and they rolled it forward. And they just kept on paying guys. And now you look at C.J. McCollum, $31 million this year, $33 million next year, $36 million, $23-24. He's having a good year, like an okay to good year. Like I don't think that people – I think there's this idea – that there was a C.J. McCollum trade that would have really upgraded this roster around Damian Lillard. As soon as he cycled onto that contract, I think that trade disappeared, which is why I look back at that turning point is like at some point they had a chance to really pivot and their general assumption building the team, Neil Olshay's general assumption building the team, and I don't necessarily think these two assumptions are wrong, are number one, no free agents ever coming here. So cap room is irrelevant to us. Number two, 
why is winning 46 games seen as a bad thing if we crack the conference finals here and there, which they did once the following year in 2019? At some point, though, those assumptions mitigated against, I think, a little bit of risk that might have been healthy for them. And now C.J. McCollum's on this, this contract where it's like, what are you getting for him? Did you find any? I mean, see, let's start here. The Athletic reported today that uh, Neil Olshay kicked around the idea, the framework of McCollum plus a first-round pick plus Nasir Little or Anthony Simons, one of those two, for Ben Simmons. Take either team's perspective. Do you, who says no to that? Do you, do you do it as Philly? Do you do it as Portland? Or is it neither? I would do it as Portland. I I think that, you know, number one, you're getting five years younger if you're swapping McCollum for Simmons, even though you're obviously losing a young player as part of that trade. I, I would probably send Simon since he's in the last year of his deal and Little, as I mentioned early, his, earlier. Uh, they've both played well this season, but Little is just such a clear fit if you move him into the Covington spot or, you know, even play him as a small forward so you get a little See, more already our there. talks are broken down. Already our talks are broken down because <laughs> if I'm Philly, I want Nasir, I want Nasir Little over Anthony Simons just for the size and defense factor as I'm chipping away at my defense around Joel Embiid and adding more undersized guards. I want him and not Anthony Simons. Yeah, we're in agreement, I think, from the Philly side of this, that that's the the holdup right now, not the Portland side of it. Because even though the, I think there's scenarios where Simmons just doesn't fit with Damian Lillard, he wants to have the ball in his hands, et cetera, et cetera, and it doesn't work, that is the kind of risk that you were just talking about, that at this stage, if you're going to breathe new life into the Damian Lillard era in Portland— that's the kind of risk you have to take. But from Philadelphia's standpoint, how much better is C.J. McCollum right now than how Seth Curry has played this season? Or Tyrese Maxey. It's, it's, the, it's the same kind of thing. Like, how many more undersized good scoring guards do we need to pile up before it's, there's not any point anymore? Uh, I agree with you. I think Portland does that trade in an absolute heartbeat or, or should do that trade. I would say Portland should do that trade in a nanosecond. My reporting is Philly has really never gotten anywhere in terms of being interested in McCollum that Philly's just been dame or nothing unless you're unless you know there's been these reports about three picks and three pick swaps and you know blah 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 I don't know how real that ever was but I don't think there's ever been any traction to this point of Philly wanting CJ McCollum and you look at that contract and you're like Portland's also over the tax right now I think Philly is also over the tax so you have to consider those kind of things but I think Simmons Dame is a hand-in-glove fit. And what I meant by those deals for CJ disappeared the moment that contract kicked in is like some of the names you heard for him over the years, like Aaron Gordon. I don't think the two sides, the Magic and the Blazers, ever got serious about that. Aaron Gordon's not changing my life in Portland. Tobias Harris, I, I now a sixer, obviously. Not really like that's just a, a third option for third option kind of thing. Like, I don't know that that's changing my life as the Blazers. There were there were other deals along the way maybe that could have existed that are better than those. But what are some other CJ and or Nurkic and or Nance destinations that we should be looking at here before we get to the big kahuna? I mean, I didn't feel like there was a lot out there for CJ McCollum. I'm curious what you came up with. Indiana was a team that I thought kind of conceptually made sense. You know, they got Malcolm Brogdon, so some size alongside him in the backcourt. Karis LeVert, as you mentioned last week in 10 Things, hasn't played that well this season. A team that could maybe use a little more juice, but that's another team that's perilously close to the luxury tax under no circumstance is going to pay it. And so I don't think there's a good match salary-wise between those two teams. 
if Indiana went over the luxury tax, I think ownership might like have just one coach. Just fire all the coaches that you can and trim all the stuff. They would st- like you get you you can't expense your cell phone bill anymore. No one can take Ubers anymore on the company dime. We're 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 nixing all of it. Um, yeah, Indiana was a play. I looked at the general like nexus of present day misery in the NBA. And so Indiana is the most miserable, unwatchable, aggressively boring team in the NBA. And I tried to come up with deals and it's just in the end for any of these deals. Again, the deal has to make Damian Lillard excited, right? That's like thing. Number one is Damian Lillard has to be like, now I feel great about Portland and for any of these deals to happen, you need Kevin Pritchard and or Rick Carlisle to think CJ McCollum is just like unbelievable, like a massive upgrade over their current ball handling guards, of which they have several. So I'll just throw some some things at you and you can tell me how stupid they are. And, and again, salary wise, there'd have to be filler thrown in here or there to minimize the tax pain for each team. Levert and Miles Turner from McCollum... Larry Nance and some sort of draft asset, maybe I don't know. I mean, because you could look at that as so McCollum Turner from I'm sorry, Levert Turner from McCollum Nance. Indiana's getting the better guard. Portland's getting the better big man. By how much in each case is sort of an eye of the beholder thing. And I did the same thing for Levert Sabonis from McCollum Nance. I mean, Sabonis is the best is is better than Turner, so that I, I just don't know. Does anyone love C.J. McCollum quite that much? Did any of those deals strike your fancy? Yeah, I think probably not. I mean, Indiana is also a f- franchise that they've made a lot of trades, but they also have been averse to taking the kind of big swing that this would represent. I mean, I would like that from Portland's standpoint because you know they've they've always wanted to have that stretch five who can also protect the rim next to Damian Lillard and pick and roll and have never been able to quite figure it out. It was Myers Leonard wasn't capable enough at the defensive end to stay on the court a lot of the time, uh, despite having some good moments. And then Zach Collins didn't stay healthy to evolve into that potential you know, outcome for him. So I would be really interested to see those two guys play together. But again, I don't think Indiana does it. I don't either. I think they, I mean, Levert has been, the reason this deal is conceptually somewhat passes the smell test is Levert has just been bad this season for the most part. Like that contract now does not look great. He just hasn't been very good. But I think Indiana looks at Turner and Sabonis both as all-star level players internally. And Sabonis has indeed been an all-star player. You can quibble with whether he deserved it or should have been. The guy made an all-star team. He was in the all-star conversation. He's a very good player. Um, Obviously, C.J. McCollum has never made an all-star team. Larry Nance, Nurkic, whoever you want to – we'll talk about Nurkic trades in a second. So I I couldn't find one that I really liked there. The other place that's obvious to look in the nexus of misery is Dallas. Uh, And I'll throw two at you. Challenge trade Porzingis from McCollum. Same kind of concept of putting the stretch big next to Dame. I I remember considering that over the summer. There's there's maybe something there, but, you know, how much – are you going to want to play, you know, give the ball, put the ball in CJ's hands next to Luka Doncic, I guess is the, the question from the Mavericks standpoint. But this is the theoretical secondary ball handler. Like we yeah. just keep hearing Mavericks fans scream about, we need someone to take the ball out of Luka's hands. He's overburdened. We need a secondary pick and roll ball handler. Tim Hardaway Jr. Isn't it? I, again, that's one you just have to, I mean, I, I don't know. Porzingis McCollum is like, I don't even know who, who, who blinks an eye at that. I don't know what, the, what that one is. Can I throw you a crazier one with Dallas? Okay. McCollum and Nurkic 
and we need to find $10 million about in salary under a couch cushion somewhere. But McCollum and Nurkic <laughs> for Porzingis and Tim Hardaway Jr. I mean, that's, that's getting more like balanced on both sides because you're, you're imbalancing things pretty significantly if you trade a guard for a center. So if, if you can do it two for two, it makes more sense. I, I mean, I feel like that's, it's some of the, these are some of those trades where you look at it and both teams are like, well, we should be getting the extra pick here, right? I, that's, that's, what, that's what I mean. Every time it's like either the team loves C.J. McCollum or is head over heels for Kristaps Porzingis. Like they're in the top 5 percentile of fans of those particular players. And if they're not, it's like, why am I really doing this? I mean, there's a lot of like, why am I really doing this? What is the point of this musical chairs? The other thing is if the Mavs trade Porzingis, and, and Porzingis, by the way, has been good this year when, when healthy. Like he's been better than he was at the end of last year when he was viewed as like a distressed contract at that point. Um, if you trade Porzingis for a guy like Nurkic who's on an expiring deal, you're either basically committing the center position to Yusuf Nurkic, who has been wildly up and down this season, or you're just being like, we'll figure out center later. We don't really care. And that scares me a little bit if I'm Dallas. Yeah, maybe maybe Nance Anything else? is the salary that matches up there and it gives them a little more of a long-term option. And then I've traded Nurkic and Nance in the same deal if I'm Portland and I'm kind of scared about that. And then these are, these, are, these are hard ones. This is what I'm talking about. Like Everyone thinks there's this magic bullet. I hear over and over again, Portland's got to take a big step to put something around Damian Lillard, I mean, tell me, tell me what the trade. Maybe the trade is I put all those picks into the Philly deal and I get Ben Simmons and I roll the dice and I take my chances. I don't know. Any Nurkic trades? Let's let's focus on Nurkic. Let's take CJ out of it. Let's say we're gonna we're gonna try and upgrade some somehow by trading Nurkic. Maybe we make Nance our starting center or vice. We trade Nance and make Nurkic our starting center. Anything out there? The two teams I saw for Nurkic were Charlotte and Chicago. Uh, Charlotte would be the return of Mason Plumley, presumably. And Chicago, you know, if you feel like they need more size when Nikola Vucevic is on the bench, it would have to be a three-team trade because Derek Jones Jr. is surely the matching salary. And the Blazers already sent him to Chicago to get Larry Nance. I tried with Charlotte really hard because I think Charlotte is a quality center away from being a really interesting team. I just, like, like Plumley and Oubre... Is that getting me excited if I'm Damian Lillard? Not really. Plumley and P.J. Washington. P.J. Washington's a guy I'd ask for if I were Portland because he's a small ball five. Uh, he can take over for Covington at power forward. Like Plumley and P.J. Washington, is that is that exciting though for me? And, and he might be the odd man out in Charlotte once they've paid Miles Bridges and paid everybody else that they're going to pay. Is that okay? I, I feel like Charlotte, I'm going to need something else. Now, especially because I'm trading both of my centers. Yeah, see that I I don't love it either. I uh, this one financially is we'd have to make some adjustments to um, for for Portland. Um, Gordon Hayward for Nurkic and Robert Covington. That's intriguing. Is it? How is it, it actually though? <laughs> is it actually? Yeah, it sounds Com- intriguing compared to what else we've been talking about. Yes. Down. I guess it's a little intriguing. It's just there's not that many teams for guys like McCollum and Nurkic to give up real stuff for them. You've got to view yourself as like a potential contender right now that needs a little bit of a deck shuffling because they're veterans who are around 30. They make a decent amount of money, a ton of money in McCollum. Like I try – Toronto's an interesting team to play around with, but it's like Toronto's track record is 
why are we doing any of this if we're like they they went down to the wire trading something for Marcus Gasol the year they ended up winning the championship like they're 11 and 13 i don't see them up uprooting significant parts of their roster giving up future assets for cj mccollum or yusuf nurkic damian learns obviously a different story not just for toronto but for other teams i just don't there's just not a lot of teams Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's switch gears now and go to the nightmare for Portland scenario down the road of, okay, we're trading Dame. Probably, if we're being honest, because Damian Lillard has requested a trade. I think that's we're still at the point where that's what it would take for Portland to entertain this discussion. Now, you and I have done this before. We can talk about Philly. That's been done to death. We don't need to talk about Philly. New York. New York's like, well, what I, I what, do, what do you see there? What I see is, you know, the, the theory for the Knicks with their offseason was like, okay, we'll put together all the salary that we can match in trades. And then, you know, throw draft picks into it. But the salary also has to be salary you want to take back. And if you're the Blazers, I feel like the construction of whatever package it would take to get up to the $35 million or so needed to match Damian Lillard's salary is going to feature a lot of salary I don't want to take back, particularly Evan Fournier with two full years left on his deal. Barrett has not had a good start to the season for the Knicks. I still am a believer that he's a solid to very good player down the line. I don't know how interested in Portland is in him. Mitchell Robinson is whatever. Uh, do I have to throw in quickly? At what point am I throwing in everything? By the way, you mentioned the, um, the salaries in Fournier. The, the Sixers, back when it seemed like maybe there was going to be a Damian Lillard derby between Philly and New York with some urgency, the Sixers had this sort of artificial time advantage where the Knicks just couldn't functionally trade for Damian Lillard until December 15th because – all of the big salaries that you just mentioned were not tradable until then. Obviously, the clock is ticking away, and it seems like that advantage was never really there for the Sixers because it's almost December 15th. The one thing about the Knicks is, unlike some of the other teams on this list, they would have the confidence to say, if we get Dame, somebody else is coming here. 
Sacramento right. can't say that. San Antonio can't say that. Indiana can't say that. On and on and on. The Knicks can. Uh, anyone else on your list? Uh, the Clippers were the third team that I looked at because oh! it is pretty easy. It is oh! pretty easy. But it is easier for them to create the matching salary. But unless you really love Brandon Boston Jr. and Keon Johnson, oh, and young stop. guys, stop. It just Boston's looked looks promising, but they don't. They just don't have enough draft picks. They can't trade a first until twenty twenty eight. You could trade swaps in twenty twenty seven and twenty twenty nine, but that's a that's an awful long ways out for the Blazers to be betting on. Yeah, you. I, they're on my list. Here's, I'll show you my list. They're down here on my list. Um, and there's a reason why the, in theory, Kyrie Irving, Russell Westbrook, John Wall school of point guard is much more theoretically, let me be clear, theoretically attainable for the Clippers because Kyrie Irving's played zero games this season. Russell Westbrook has been, let's, let's say, inconsistent with the Lakers and... Um, John Wall has also played zero games, so their trade value not exactly through the roof uh, at this point. By the way, shout out to Steven Silas. We're going to talk about the Rockets with Tim McMahon later. Uh, six straight wins for the Houston Rockets. Somehow that happened. I don't really – it's like I've seen something again. I'm like, wow, is Garrison Matthews actually this good? Um, uh, I'll give you – any other teams before I get to my crazy list? Those are the three I looked at. New Orleans has been mentioned before, and that's got to be Ingram plus a whole bunch of picks. I just feel like that's a little too unstable given Zion Williamson has played no games. And obviously the Pelicans opened up all that cap space for, for Lowry with the idea of Lowry plus Ingram plus Zion not forfeiting a guy as good as Brandon Ingram to get a guy like Kyle Lowry. Obviously Damian Lillard is theoretically a level above Kyle Lowry. By the way, we should actually talk about that. The assumption four months ago was that they're getting a James Harden trade package. For, for Lillard, right? Like all the picks, all the swaps, all the players. He's in his prime. He's under contract for at least three more years. He's an all-NBA player. To what degree do you think that has taken a hit? It, or or should, it, should it have taken a hit because of his abdominal issues, the fact that he's shooting 30% from three, looked bad in the Olympics, has never been a, even an average defensive player? Is that a no-brainer now? Should it be a no-brainer that they get that package? Or are teams going to start thinking, wait a second, is this somewhat troubling to us? Yeah, I think teams probably would still give him the benefit of the doubt. But particularly if you're a team like Philly, where the whole logic of this deal is we need to try to win immediately while Joel Embiid is in his prime, it it gives you some pause for sure. I And I think to the point that we've been making here, this trade is going to be much easier to consummate in the offseason when there's a little more flexibility on the number of players on the roster. There's some teams that could potentially use cap space as part of the way that they're taking in Damian Lillard's salary. So especially, you know, if Lillard is able to return and play more like the Lillard that we've seen the rest of the season, I think that's probably going to be a better scenario if the Blazers are planning to you know, if the Blazers make the decision to trade him independent of the timeline of him requesting a trade. See, I think it almost, I think Philly is almost the least affected potential Lillard suitor by his eh play this season because they are so urgently win now. Like they don't really care as much if Damian Lillard falls off 15% in two seasons. I think they care about right now, but right now has also been, has also been not that good. I'm good. Can I give you two other, um, not frequently mentioned Damian Lillard teams that I think should be mentioned more? Of course. Number one is Boston. 
who would have to come up with the salary to add to like Smart plus Neesmith plus every pick and swap we've got. They're one of like people ask me a lot. Well, who are the good teams that have picks actually left to trade that own their picks and blah blah blah. Boston doesn't come up. Boston's got all their stuff pretty much. Getting up to the salary might be a little challenging, although Horford helps in that regard. Um, they're a team that's like they're starting to come on a little bit, but it feels like every time they start to come on a little bit, they slump again and there's a little bit of drama. He would fit with them. I don't really see a trade that I love there from Portland's perspective, but if you're just asking me who has the godfather draft pick, pick swap, uh, who has the who has the Godfather draft pick pick swap uh, ability? Who has players that will remain on the roster so that Damian Lillard arrives to a team that's actually still good? And who would be motivated to try to win the championship? And that seems ridiculous given that Boston's been kind of mediocre this year. But to make a real run in the next couple of years, they they check a lot of those boxes. How does does that sound ridiculous to you? It makes more sense now that you mentioned I look at it because they've also got a variety of different options to match salary. If the Blazers don't want Horford, you know, it could be smart plus Josh Richardson plus guarantee Juancho Hernan Gomez's salary for next season. So that's that's interesting that they've got a few different ways to get there. My other one, you know, they've come up a lot with Ben Simmons. So why not why not just throw him into this discussion? D'Angelo Russell, all of our, you know, Jaden McDaniels, Jared Vanderbilt, if you want them, all our picks, all our swaps. Minnesota acquires Damian Lillard. I have Dame, Edwards, Cat. And I, I, you know, I again I checked the box of okay, I can look around if I'm Damian Lillard. I got a, I got an all-star already here. Big man compliments me nicely. Got a young rising star on the wing. We just traded all our depth, but who cares about depth? You know, stars don't care about depth. Depth is fungible. Um, and all we did was trade young players and picks, and my presence in Damian Lillard is going to make sure that those picks aren't super, super high. Uh, is I don't think that – I look, I don't think the Wolves would do that. I think it's too much of an accelerant, and, un, uh, you know, Dame being six years or seven years older than Simmons or whatever it is is a big deal because it doesn't fit Cat's timeline. I at least – to use Bill Simmons' parlance, I think Sasha Gupta and his staff have to have a meeting and discuss that. I would agree with that. I mean, I think the challenge is, number one, it's a lot more draft picks, presumably, than you would have to throw into a deal for Ben Simmons because that's, that's part of the idea is it would be Simmons plus more to Portland if they were trading for Dame here. And then, you know, the the question is, if you're Minnesota, is doing all of that worth it for somebody who so much of his value is offensively and having the ball in his hands when we've already got really good scores in Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns, whereas Simmons is a little more of a compliment to those two guys? That's fair. I don't I don't really see it. I think I think more likely Minnesota butts into a three team trade somehow where where uh Lillard ends up going uh to Philly. I also think Boston is, a, is a, there's a three-way, I'll just say this, there's a three-way Boston, Philly, Portland trade that makes a lot of sense um, that I, I don't know that the architecture of it is all that realistic, but it makes a lot of sense. Look, I think we're putting the card ahead of the horse in the Damian Lillard conversation. I think it is time to have the other conversation because the bottom line is Portland is they just look, they look horrible right now. I mean, I watched their Boston game over the weekend. They got destroyed they're getting bullied. Their size has become more and more of an issue. 
that's one of the re- at least like someone like Levert is a legit six six. At least they're not a tiny team on the perimeter anymore. But it, it's just it, I think they're going to start looking harder. It's just it's going to be harder because of where the franchise is because all these contracts are just eh, because they don't have any really great filler in the salary range between Nance and Simons. It's not going to be easy. But I I don't know. I don't know what the future for this franchise is uh, anymore. They have had a nice run here. They risked being trapped in mediocrity, and that's what happened. They got trapped in mediocrity. They missed on too many picks. There's a, just a collective opportunity cost of the last seven or eight years of, of just eh, transactions. But they've been really good for a long time. And I said this over and over again. People laughed at their conference finals appearance in 2019. Don't laugh at a conference finals appearance. Making the conference finals is hard. Ask the Clippers. Ask the Clippers. But it just feels like it, it really has run its course. I just don't know. I, I, I look at their next five years and I'm like, boy, this could be, this could be ugly. Yeah, I mean, to your point about ask the Clippers, ask the Blazers too. You know, after they made the conference finals in 2000 and were a fourth quarter comeback away from maybe winning the championship that year, it was 19 years for them to get back. It was, I'm trying to remember the date off the top of my head, it was at least 14 years before they won a playoff series again. So look, these things are not easy and you definitely need to enjoy them while they're happening because they're not guaranteed to continue. I can't wait to see how this turns out. We are nine days away from the 15th. I do think things are going to start heating up. And we will lean on you to help us understand what in the hell happens when things start to happen. Kevin Pelton, thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to read your stuff. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Go Kraken. And uh, I'll see you soon. Thanks for having me. Go Kraken. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, ooh, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. All right, let's bring in the one and only Tim McMahon to address some of the teams in the Tim McMahon nexus of coverage, which is generally Southwest mountain region <laughs> stretching toward the Mississippi. Mr. McMahon, there's lots of interesting stuff going on here. How are you doing? Howdy, howdy. I, uh, I've got like a Rudy Gobert type of wingspan, I like to think. Oh, or, is Ken, or as Perk calls him, Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert, I think. <laughs> Gobert. Is, is a, uh, is, 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 I, th- I don't. I don't. I may not be getting that right, but Perk. It's a running joke with Perk. Let's start with your hometown-ish Dallas Mavericks, who are eleven and eleven, two and seven in their last nine, minus thirty-seven point differential for the season, twentieth on offense, eighteenth on defense, and just boring as hell, slow as molasses. Dull as watching paint dry. No team with Luka Doncic should be this boring and this dull. He's one of the most scintillating players in the NBA. 
What the hell is going on here? Can you give me any reason for optimism that is something beyond Luca will play himself into shape at some <laughs> theoretical point in the future? I mean, I'm not going to sit here and uh, be the sunshine pumper. If I was, I'd say, well, hey, they were 9-4 and four before uh, Luca went down with that sprained ankle. But the reality is they were a butt-ugly 9-4, and four, and you know that. Like, they were 9-4 and four against the soft schedule when they the, the one team you could – call a good team that they beat during that stretch was the Nuggets who after injuries hit on a back-to-back you know they had gotten the the good teams they had played uh, they gotten handled pretty you know pretty easily uh, during that stretch and so you know this two and seven uh, Lucas missed four games those were all four losses two and three when he's played so you know obviously his injury hasn't helped Porzingis has been banged up a couple times has missed uh, you know missed some games uh, here recently should be back tonight. We'll see if Luca plays tonight. Um, but look, you you mentioned Luca playing his way into shape, and if we want to talk about, hey, why don't the Mavericks look good? There are a lot of reasons, and it's hard to blame the guy who's still putting up, you know, by by normal standards, very good numbers. But Luca Doncic has not played close to his standard this season, and I think you know some of that we can talk about, well, the spacing's clogged up, you know, guys aren't hitting shots, you know, so on and so forth. He has to stop reporting at 260-plus pounds and, and, and playing his way into shape. That cannot be an annual storyline. He got off to a slow start last I'm so, year. I, I'm sorry, what was, the, what was the figure you just gave? 260-plus. Uh, he has to stop doing that. What does Zion weigh then? I feel like uh, well, I mean we, I know he weighs more than that, but two sixty. Uh, the number I've heard from several places on Zion is uh, seventy pounds higher than two sixty. I'll let you do the math on that. Oh um, my god! Now I don't know. He might if he. No. You know what? I feel I feel pretty good. You know what? This has turned into like Zach Lowe's self esteem hour now. I feel pretty good about myself. Like I I I just completed dry November, Tim. I did a whole month dry November. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling frisky. I'm, I'm nearing my plane. I feel great. Let's do the whole podcast on that. I don't look terrible anymore. I need, I need to drop ten or twelve, and uh, a, a dry month is uh, not very likely in my in my near future. Um, but you know, Luca has to be better. He has to be better. He has to play his way into shape, like you said. And it's just that one. I'll be honest. Him showing up out of shape did surprise me because he went straight from the playoffs to Slovenian national training camp, qualifying tournament, Olympics. Obviously, was awesome in those two things. Didn't have a whole lot of time off, but apparently really enjoyed that time off. And here he is. And you know. I, look, Luke, we'll we'll look up just like last year. We'll look up at the end of the year, and Luke is going to be one of the best players in the league. He's going to be playing like one of the best players in the league. But the other the other thing with Luca is, you know, he's no longer directing his animosity at the coach during almost every time out, which was the case uh, certainly last year. Uh, these guys, as far as I can tell, truly do like Jason Kidd. You know, they they appreciate. The efforts that kid has made to kind of open up the communication with the players and, and and try to make it a better vibe, but like you know, kid did call Luke out the other night for basically complaining to the officials after almost every single possession, and it's not just a a you know how does it affect his focus? You know, kid pointed out, hey, the other team is getting transition opportunity after transition opportunity because Luke is so busy barking at the refs that he doesn't get past half court. It's funny you mention that, Tim, because I remember a podcast last year when you and I discussed this very subject, 
So you're telling me, just to be clear, Jason Kidd called out Luka Doncic for complaining to the referees? Well, he didn't. I'm not sure if he checked that with Mark Cuban first. Cuban might have had a different uh, a different vantage point while he was screaming at the referees from his uh, from his baseline seat. But I, yeah. I just remember you and I bringing this topic up uh-huh, uh-huh. on a podcast, and and our conclusion that Luka Doncic, or, or I guess it was my conclusion that you shared, I, because it was all the ire was directed at me, that he was maybe the biggest whiner in the NBA, was met with some foul-mouthed consternation from the owner of the Dallas Mavericks on national television, which was good-natured and, like, Mark and I have a good relationship, but it yes. was like when a, when a presidential candidate and would-be presidential candidate and billionaire tells you to F yourself on national TV, your life gets turned upside down. And that, that, But then following that up, they all admit it, including Luca, that he whines to the yes. referees all the time. Luca is very good at, it, at admitting it and not as good at addressing it. And he's admitted it several and like you know, look, he got up to fifteen T's last year and then he did, you know, back off and he didn't get the one that triggered the suspension. But and 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 you know, we've talked a lot about what's what's not great about Luca right now. And because when you talk Dallas Mavericks, he's going to get a lot of the attention. But let's also just be realistic. Luca's the only reason the Mavericks have any hope of of being relevant. Well, and, and they, they have like two or three wins because he hit big shots in the last seconds of games. And yeah, he's, yes. he's averaging. He's his numbers are there. His shooting's a little down. His zip is a little down, which we'll talk about. But yeah, I mean, it's like he's by far their best player. Porzingis. Well, is the de- been- the defense has been atrocious. His his defense has been just absolutely abysmal. Um, but you know, Hardaway's in 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 the first year after signing a, a pretty significant contract is is really shot it poorly. They they've got him coming off the bench now, hoping to get. Him jump started and hoping to get some more defense into the starting lineup with Reggie Bullock, you know, who is their, I'm not going to say their major offseason addition, but their medium offseason addition. You know, does this does a, he need glasses or something? I, I mean, mean, Reggie Bullock's jump shot got lost in transit from New York to Dallas. The the big hope here is if you look at his career splits, uh, apparently the autumn uh, months are not kind to him. <laughs> Once it gets chilly, he gets he, he finds his stroke. They better hope because Reggie Bullock as a twenty whatever percent three point shooter is it, that's not that's not good. Um, you know, team wide, Porzingis has has not shot it well. I mean, he's he has been much more effective and certainly much happier that he's getting these post up opportunities. Um, but you know, he's shooting it at at thirty percent. It's just a team wide shooting funk. And then uh, you know, there's. Kid has basically called out the maturity of the team recently, which has been interesting. You know, essentially saying, "Hey, shots don't go down. We hang our heads, and it, it gets ugly." So that's problematic. A lot of these problems that we're talking about, including transition defense, which has been bad uh, by the numbers and by the eye test, a lot of them go away if you're not one of the ten worst three-point shooting teams in the league, which they've been all season. And by the way, to yeah. get up to, I think they're twenty-first now. That required like a hot streak to get up to twenty-first. This is a team built around Luka and three-point shooting. And if you don't shoot threes, you don't get to see. If you don't make them, your offense is going to be bad. You don't get to set your defense. On and on and on. But look, they're just they just look like they're stuck in mud. They're yeah. this was never like an athletic. Super fed. They, you know, you under Rick, they're going to play slow, low turnover, and that's still they still play slow. They still don't turn it over, but there's just a certain lack of of just zip that you just got to have, and like it manifests in they're by far last in shots at the rim. That's, what I, was what, gonna, that's what I was going to bring up, and that that is 
I think we can talk about spacing. We can talk about the commitment to starting with a with a too big lineup, which is essentially trying to ease the wear and tear uh, on Chris Tapp's Porzingis. They know that's not their best lineup. Um, it would be ideal if, if Maxi Kleba could be uh, a part of that if they're going to do it because he can be a guy who uh, who spaces the floor. Um, 49 but- minutes total for Doncic, Porzingis, Kleba trio, which is, which is as you said, my favorite of that lineup construction. If you're going to play another big, I want it to be Kleba. And obviously injuries have a lot to do with yes. that. But in past seasons, that's been a good grouping for them. Yeah, and they, that's what they rolled with a lot last year. And the tread was pretty much worn down on Maxi by the end of the year. You've really got to be careful with his minutes. You know, he had pretty significant injury uh, history before he even got to the NBA. So, you know, pushing his minutes up into the high 20s, low 30s, which is going to happen if he's a starter, it's, uh, it's, it's maybe it's something they can go to in the playoffs. It's not something you can do uh, over, uh, you know, an 82-game schedule. Um, and, you know, and again, if we want to talk about the poor rim rate, like Luca doesn't have the same burst that he did once he got into shape last season that he did, you know, the, the, the previous season. Uh, so worse spacing, less burst. It's, uh, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's hard to get to the rim if that's the case. I got some fun stats for you. Ready? Yes, sir. For all the hullabaloo. About Ooh, Chris right, Stepp's right. Porzingis post-ups, which are often unwatchable and not a wise use of resources in certain situations. For the season, the Mavericks are scoring almost 1.2 points per possession when he shoots out of a post-up mm-hmm. where he passes and it's a one-pass-away shot. That would basically like almost lead the league every year. Doncic, who has grown into an incredibly vicious, mean, Ask mm-hmm. Pat Beverly post-up player for the season... 0.778 points per possession in those same circumstances. That's awful. His mm-hmm. turnovers are up. His his shooting fouls drawn are down. I think the the lack of burst has impacted yeah. that part of his game as well. Like the full fully operational Luka Doncic is a monster in the post. Like the Clippers yeah. Clippers put Pat Beverly on him in game one of that series. Wow. That lasted for like a hot second, and he destroyed him. And told him you're too effing small, <laughs> right yeah. in space at, at a very high decibel. Um, and I, you know what, Porzingis, I'm going to say this kid made it. And a lot of us kind of snickered kid made it a priority to get paint Porzingis post touches and to kind of let Porzingis know, Hey, I know Rick told you these are off limits. We want you down there. We want you getting these touches that had a, it it was a psychological play as, as much as anything else. And it really, it pumped Porzingis up. He feels wanted. He feels, you know, motivated. I, he's playing now. Last year, his his dragon is his surgically repaired knee around was certainly an issue. So was his motivation. The guy feels like I'm not getting touches. The coach doesn't like me. I don't like the coach. It's hard to play hard. He has said that. Um, he's playing harder. He's also and here's the thing with Porzingis post ups. If he just lets a guy get under him and push him out to 16, 18 feet, catches it, turns and takes a you know, a, a jump shot. Those are, those are, you know, I mean, Bob Volgaris could probably give us the exact number on points per possession. Those are 0.8 point per possession shots or lower, right? Not good. No bueno. Yeah. If he's, if he's establishing deep position and when he's turning, he's, he's four feet from the hoop, he's six feet from the hoop. Suddenly that efficiency goes a hell of a lot higher and he's done a much, the post-ups, he's not catching it at 16, 18 a lot now. 
he, he's catching them much deeper. And so, you know, as a result, it's a hell of a lot more efficient. They were, they have, have leaned at times toward Porzingis at center, Porzingis as only big man, which I think yeah. is their, I've said many times, like the future of this team, if it has one as a championship contender, is a lot of that. Um, the, the issue is that, um, their perimeter players just haven't been good enough other than Luca and Jalen Brunson for a lot of the season yeah. to sort of enable those lineups. Dorian Finney-Smith, he's up to 37% now after, from three after a really cold start. Just doesn't bring a lot of off-the-dribble stuff. Hardaway's been okay. Sterling Brown and Bullock have been disappointments. But it has been interesting to see them sort of lean a little bit that way um, here and there. The other thing they have going for them, as you probably know, is Opponents are shooting well from everywhere on the floor. They're just getting roasted on threes, mid-rangers, shots at the rim. And some of that is bad defense. Some of that is bad luck. The tracking data has them as the third most unlucky, third most unlucky, least lucky. Just they're not getting good yeah. luck on defense. So their defense, which is 18th, I think is probably a little bit better than that. But I guess I would zoom out and ask you this. You, you talk to these guys more than I do. Do they conceive of themselves as like a contender right now? Like, what is it? What is their internal conception? Because with the Nuggets in in injury disarray and the Clippers missing Kawhi Leonard, and obviously the Warriors and the Suns have run away with it. But at the beginning of the season, you could have talked yourself into, "Hey, we have a generational superstar. Let's take a crack at it now." Is that is that over? Do they think that that they, that's just not not a thing? I think a five hundred team that uh, for a franchise that hasn't been out of the first round in a decade probably isn't going to go beat their chest and, and you know, talk about being contenders. <laughs> that, that would be a bit of a stretch. Um, they feel like there, there is potential there. They feel like there is, uh, you know, like, okay, there's, there's, it's been a struggle. There've been, you know, they've, they've dealt with some stuff, injuries, uh, scheme adjustments, you know, so on and so forth, poor shooting, all that kind of stuff. They feel like, uh, you know, they should be a much better team the rest of the season. Um, but I, you know, right now there, you can't sit there and look at the Mavericks and, and call them a contender and the Mavericks it, can't look at themselves and call them a contender. You can't even look at this team right now, which I think, I think they might be the most disappointing team in the NBA. I say that having not looked up and down the standings and, and said, who's really disappointing. But I mean, it depends on what you want to, what you want to say about your expectations for the Lakers, I guess. True. Um, I've talked too much about the Lakers. We're disqualifying the Lakers from the podcast. The Lakers are the only 500 team that can call themselves contenders. If you have LeBron, you get a pass. <laughs> I, I guess. But I just think the Mavs have looked so eh, just yeah. eh. And, and the Suns and the Warriors, and to a, a much lesser extent the Jazz, at least in win-loss record, have just run away from everybody. And there's just no – talk about teams that play with zip and, and tenacity and contrast them with the Mavericks. It's It's – a huge contract. I guess we'll. I guess we'll. The, the Mavs were awfully eh at this point last year. Matter yeah. of fact, record wise, they were worse, and then they they were a top five team record wise from about this point through the rest of the season. Now, I'm not saying that's happening this year, you know. But as Luca gets in better shape, as guys thaw out from a from three point range, I don't think they're a 500 team. I also don't think they're a contender. If they don't, if they don't finish in the top six, I count that as a disappointing season. Well, guess what? You can be a five hundred team and maybe finish in the top six. So, uh, That's the, true. I hate to tell you, the fourth seed in the West might have about forty five wins. We're going to talk about the current fourth seed in the West uh, uh, shortly, but uh, that's. 
that's all for the Mavs. You know, we'll see. I mean, again, Luca has been so good that it kind of accelerated the yeah. p- the potential timeline for the team in a way that is unusual. And you know, they don't they they have only one more pick they owe to the Knicks from the KP deal. Um, they will have cap space coming up in a couple of years, maybe another chance, depending on what they do with Porzingis and some other stuff. So they're not done tinkering with this team. No, Let's go. No, nothing Mass fans want to hear about more than cap space, boy, let me tell you. <laughs> I think they could get Darren Williams now if they offered him a max deal. Uh, they got to get him out of the MMA gym. Isn't he – he's fighting – isn't he boxing someone? He is. Uh, Frank Gore, the, the, uh, the former NFL running back, you know, 16,000-yard rusher. Matter of fact, I think Frank Gore might have had more yards and D Will had points. I'm gonna have to look that one up. Anyways, maybe, yeah. Maybe I'll do a deep dive on that one. Well, D Will does have a media availability tomorrow in Dallas, but I'm not gonna be able to make it. Let's talk about another Texas team. Apologies to the Spurs who had won four straight before losing to the Warriors. We're gonna get to them another day. We gotta talk about the streaking Houston Rockets <laughs> and Steven Silas, First the head all, coach. You, you can only refer to them right now as the red hot. Houston Rockets. The flying Fertitas flying <laughs> around. Six straight wins. Steven Silas setting the land speed record from hot seat to, dude, you're winning too many games. Can you stop winning games? You're going to cost us the top three pick. Immediately set the record for that. Uh, look, Chicago, that's a good win. Charlotte, that's a good win. Thunder times two. You know, look, you want to dog those wins. Pistons had a big lead against the Thunder last night at home. Thunder came back and got them. When they play their guys, they're a competitive, semi-competitive team. Unless unless Memphis beats them by 73 or so. Well, we're going to talk about Memphis shortly. (laughs) Orlando and the Pelicans, the schedule is about to get absolutely hellacious. Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and then eight of nine on the road. So good job banking the wins. Uh, Look, they've been really fun to watch in these last six games. They benched Tice for the most part. Yeah. Started Christian Wood as the only big man, transitioning Jay Sean Tate, who I love, into a four, which is the position he probably needs to play. The Tice Christian Wood pairing is minus one thirty-two in three hundred and nine minutes. It's a disaster. My boy Shengun gets to fly in <laughs> as the backup center without any other big men mucking around. And look, it's it's unavoidable and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I don't think it's entirely coincidental that this started yeah. to happen as well when Jalen Green got hurt and went out of the lineup. I mean, what so like really none of what what actually matters of this for the Rockets in like four or five years is is unclear. Christian Wood has I think finally stepped into the last six games. He's he's played much harder, he's played better defense, both switching and rim protection. You feel his impact in a way you didn't before. That's good. Kevin Porter Jr. actually missed the last game. Um, mm. if, if he progresses and sort of knocks some of that tunnel vision off of his game, that would help. But I'm not sure how much of this actually matters for what the Rockets are going to look like in three or four years. But it's been fun. It's been good. I mean, I'm happy for Steven Silas. I'm happy for the, the players that it's not just a freaking drag because it looked like they had those two games against the Thunder. And I remember talking to people like, if they're 1-20, in I, I just mm. something no, is going to happen. It, it you was... can't be 1-20. in it was getting certainly, you know, 15-game losing streak. They had a 20-gamer last year. It was There was absolutely, and Jake Fisher from Bleach Report reported that, you know, there was starting to be concern about whether Silas was the right guy uh, for a rebuild. Remember, when he was hired, they were still hoping to hang on to Harden. Um, but, you know, a six-game losing streak, that's all, that's all gone. Nobody wanted to run off Steven Silas. There was just concern, and I think, you know, like I said on the uh, Hoop Collective last week, his seat has gone from uh, heating up to back to room temperature for sure. Um, as far as what actually matters long term, 
You mentioned Jalen Green has missed all but the first quarter of the six-game winning streak. He, he did have 11 points in that quarter. But look, Jalen Green is a 19-year-old kid who sometimes is going to have some good scoring nights, but he's absolutely lost on an NBA court right now, as 19-year-old shooting guards tend to yeah, be. Not not know. a long-term, not a long-term problem. I'm more no. I'm 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 happier as a if I'm a Rockets fan. Forget all that. I'm happy that he looks confident taking jump shots yeah. and that his explosion and athleticism is like holy yes. real. Like that's yeah. that's what that's all everything else just wake me up when he's got a couple years under his belt. Yeah, or even you know, maybe late this year, maybe next year. Look at Anthony Edwards. He was totally lost early last year and is a hell of a player right now. Um, a, a little bit different physique wise. We're talking linebacker versus, uh, you know, <laughs> ballet dancer. But, um, I think that you mentioned Christian Wood, uh, him going, you know, them going, pulling the plug on the two big lineup. We talked about how funky the Mavs spacing has been. The Rockets was worse. Um, he's flourished there. Now, why does that matter for the Rockets? Does it matter because maybe there's a trade to be made with, with Wood? Going somewhere else, certainly, uh, you know, maybe Chet Holmgren's the Rockets starting center moving forward, or, or Paulo. I always botch this guy's last name, the Duke kid who's an absolute stud. Um, Christian Wood, maybe he is in Houston for a while longer. Maybe there's a trade to be made there. Um, Eric Gordon has been phenomenal during this winning streak, really being pressed into playing a lot of point guard as well. Um, Eric Gordon is still a guy who can get buckets and guard on the perimeter. Um, you know, and in switches, still big, strong uh, dude who can guard. Um, maybe there is a, a a contender out there who who sees value in Eric Gordon, and there's a move to be made there. Um, I think in terms of like Kevin Porter's been in and out of the lineup, and he still hadn't shot the ball well, but he's he has shown progression as far as uh, a facilitator. They're actually really happy with his defense all year long. And Jay Sean Tate has been a stud. I love Jay Sean Tate. I love Jay Sean Tate. A little mini Anthony Mason. I mean, he is a he's six foot four, two thirty. You know, if he could shoot the three well, he'd really be something. He hadn't. That's not come come around. But you know, this is a dude who is tough, is smart, is a crafty playmaker uh, off the dribble, especially if he's being guarded. By fours, um, you know. Granted, it was G League caliber defense, but did have a 32 point game uh, against the Thunder. And, no, and I, he- I wrote about him last year in ten things early in the season because he can switch, he can defend in the post because he's strong as hell. And you nailed it. He's a good passer, and he's a good pass. He can screen, catch, and pass on the move. I wrote early last year he could be a rotation player on a good team back yes. then. He's legitimately good and yes. a really good find for the Rockets. And, and you know, he's an, a second-year NBA guy who would played uh, overseas for a bit before that. But still, at 26 years old for a rebuilding team, he's a, he's a nice piece who has a uh, – I, I think has a, a, a bright future ahead of him. And, you know, again, if we're talking about young guys during this winning streak who have really impressed, he, he would be at the top of that list. And, I mean <laughs> – I can't believe we're we're going to talk about this this much. Garrison Matthews, yeah, has completely changed their team. I mean, he's on a two way deal. He's shooting forty two percent from three. He takes a ton of threes. He draws charges. I, he he has to over the last three years lead the league in illegal screens drawn per thirty six minutes. He is just throw. He's a former football player, and he's just throwing his body every which way into people. And, like, you can see that his teammates are like, wow, this dude's playing this hard? Like, okay, I got to step it up. 
I don't understand how he how he was available on a two way. To be honest with you, because you know he's got a couple of years under his belt. He got pretty significant minutes in Washington. Not that they're a good team, but you know he was a a high thirties. I think one year even a, a low forties three point shooter. It's not like oh my gosh, suddenly this guy's learned to shoot the ball. Um, you know, shooting and toughness usually that can get you a a, a roster spot. So to be able to scoop him up on a two way. Um, at some point, they're gonna have to figure out a way to to you know convert that and have him on the roster full time. He's he's a starter for him though. I and, I agree. He was one of my Luke Walton All Stars last year. He was in the Celtics training camp. I I was just surprised that he he couldn't even get a minimum from yeah. somebody because he can really he's a capital S shooter. He's a five alarm fire when he's open shooter. You can't leave him open. He moves around all the time. He's moving constantly, like in any really unpredictable patterns. And and how many teams can use a shooter? I mean, we can go up and down the uh you know the standings and I don't think there's really a lot of teams that you can say, ah, boy, another shooter, that'd be I'm gonna use a big word, superfluous. Is that is that the proper use of that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah superfluous. Yeah. Um you nailed it with Eric. You nailed it with Eric Gordon. The biggest win of the season for Rafael Stone, their GM, is that Eric Gordon is shooting forty-seven percent or forty-six percent or something from three. And yes, contenders will and should be calling the Rockets. And if they can get a first-round pick for Eric Gordon, that's yeah. a home run. And he's got a, he's got a funky contract where he's owed one more year, and I, I don't have the numbers from me. I think it's like eighteen-ish, uh, one more year, and then. If he plays for a championship team, the year after that suddenly becomes guaranteed. But you know what? If you have to pay another guaranteed year of Eric Gordon and you win a championship, great. It's, that's worth it. The Christian Wood thing is really interesting because on the one hand, he just turned 26. Yeah. And if I'm the Rockets, I'm like, he's not like, the at least not yet. And as I said, the last five or six teams, he's played noticeably harder and mm. more selflessly. But he's not yet the sort of like veteran, tough leader I want as yeah. like the guy who's going to set the example and mold my young guys. But that, that was Tice who just didn't fit with Wood and Wood's a more talented player. I, I said at the time, I have no idea why Daniel Tice is on the team. I don't know why they signed him to a three-year, $27 million deal. I, why, why did it happen 15 minutes into free agency? Uh, why were they so exuberant about Daniel Tice? 15 minutes into free agency, but they didn't get um, – Hit with any tampering penalties? That's uh, that's interesting. I guess that's I guess 15 minutes in is is 15 minutes in a non-sign and trade is okay. One minute in a sign and trade is not okay. I guess that Daniel Daniel Tice. I guess his agent called all 30 teams in eight minutes. Got all the offers in six fourteen. Well, there's, it was an, done. there's an unwritten rule that you can't. The the league office is not going to hit anybody with tampering unless the second round pick is at least like 12 years away and probably going to be in the 50s. <laughs> um, uh, I don't even know what the hell is. Oh, Christian, what? So there's part of me as a Rockets GM that would be like, he's still 26. He's really good. Yeah, he's a feather in our cap. Like, why not keep him around? He's not winning us like so many games that it's bad for our draft odds. And yet, there's also and this and that's the part of me that when there were some people last year that suggested the Pistons should trade Jeremy Grant right now while yeah. he's hot. I was like, you can't do that. You just signed him this and that. Well, now Jeremy Grant is in, has not shot well this season. His trade value is probably not as high. Maybe you should sort of trade him when his value is as high. I, I, I'm torn on that one. That well, one's tough for me. The, the, the sense that I get is by no means are the Rockets looking to move him. Certainly there, you know, there's potential for him to be in his prime when the, when the young guys uh, grow up and maybe the Rockets are ready to be uh, competitive again. But 
they're willing to listen. And I think, you know, aside from Jalen Green, the Rockets should be willing to listen to every single guy on the roster. You know, <laughs> when you're a rebuilding team, that's just kind of, you know, not Shen Goon. for business. No, I'm okay, not listening fine. on Shen Goon. Only well, because I think I, Presti wishes he wouldn't have. Only because I'm so entertained by him that if he were on my team, I'd be like, I, I'm. He doesn't have a nickname, right? I heard they were so, Craig Ackerman no, they, who does they, play they by call him, Shen Goon. They call him Al P. Eh. I mean, I I call him NBA Icarus because he flies too close to the sun. He will try. <laughs> if, he, if he will try, like if I can do a no-look blindfolded layup with my left hand <laughs> where I put the ball between my legs and flick it up over my head. I might, Maybe I'll try that. Like The guy is just, if I can take it coast-to-coast, one-on-five, around-the-back spin, no-look backward pass to a shooter from <laughs> under the rim, I'll try it. He, he, I, I, and by, as a result, his turnover rate is her- horrific, but his post-ups have been really efficient. Well, they, that, that turnover rate is just him trying to fit in in Houston. Oh, that's true. The t- but that's one thing that, I mean, part of their winning streak is that their turnover rate went from historically bad to just bad. And, like, that's three or four possessions <laughs> a game. I, their offense is the reason that they've won these games. I mean, their offense is, like, scoring at a ridiculous rate. Let's move to um, one last team. The current fourth seed in the West, the aforementioned 73-point victors over the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, who they just, have not trailed in the last five games. I couldn't John believe Bryant. that. I couldn't believe it. I was watching their Heat game last night where they sort of run away, ran away and hid from the Heat, and Bam was out. Jimmy Butler left the game halfway through after aggravating his tailbone injury. And, yeah, they got the Thunder without half their team. They got the Mavs during the streak without both KP and Luka, yeah. I believe. But they're winning games, and I, I couldn't – and the Heat guys were – the commentators were saying they haven't trailed in 20 consecutive quarters. You, that's the, crazy. Hold on. Do you know what the late the, – the one and only non-zero-zero zero tie during that streak, do you know what it was? 1-1. One, one. I'm going to guess 1-1. One, one. That would be the most random one. 2-2 two two last night against the Heat. That's the only time other than opening tip that they've been tied. <laughs> it's, and, you know, look, obviously – John Morant is the face of the franchise and the hope for the Grizzlies to, um, you know, sometime develop into a contender. But, hey, that is they've got some real quality depth and, you know, they've got they've got some guys who are uh, some young guys who are, are blossoming. And, and that's obviously, you know, Jaws not too far away. You know, I think he posted last night multi, a multi emoji thing that basically was like, you know, see you soon uh, type of thing. Um, you know, I think it's still weeks, but he'll be back. Um, but some of these other guys, you know, Bain has been playing well all year long. Desmond Bain, Bain is a really good player. Bain is – I might be ready to make an exception to my no second-year player should win most improved player award because that dude is a completely different player than he was last year. And he was good last year. The off-the-dribble yes. stuff, the pull-up threes, yes. the floaters – the in transition, he looked like Bo Jackson in transition against Miami. There, like he's going so fast and he's big and burly. It was like I don't even. I, I'm afraid to like vicariously think about taking a charge for him in transition. Oh, he had 29 and nine in uh, in Dallas and just absolutely tormented nerdy draft Twitter who wanted the Mavs to take him. Uh, they ended up getting Josh Green, who was DNP CD that night, as Bain did, pointed did, out post game. Yeah, didn't he say like I don't know if Josh Green even played tonight? But, <laughs> yeah. but that is. But he said, but woo! that's him, not him. No, Bain, Bain's a stud. Bain's a and you know he's one of these guys who well four year guy wingspan's not great. Okay, 
But you know what he you know what he can do? He can get buckets and he can guard. Usually that's a pretty good combination. If you can do those two things, you might be able to to contribute in the league. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, you know he's he's had a, a a nice little stretch. You know they obviously need him to develop into a consistent uh, co-star with Moran if they're ever going to uh, emerge as you know anything close to contenders. Um, he's been encouraging. Tyus Jones just a quality backup point guard. A guy's going to have he's going to distribute. He's not going to turn it over. And has been more aggressive in these last four or five games shooting the ball, which they need. Everyone needs to step it up a little bit without Ja. Yeah, but they you know they've got a they've got some nice depth um, that has allowed them to somehow not have a single deficit during a five game winning streak. I'd be ner- I'd be nervous now if I were a player. Like I'd be nervous at zero zero and two two. <laughs> like we got to keep this going. And I would and I, 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 if I were on the other team and we went up four two, I would just be talking a whole lot of trash about how we broke the streak. <laughs> I would make a whole I would make a whole big thing of this. And by the way, to your point about the depth. Slow mo has missed a bunch of these yeah. games. Clark has, who's been fantastic this season, yeah. uh, has missed a couple of these games. They're getting great minutes from John Conchar. Like they, they just they, Xavier Tillman's gotten back in the rotation and played pretty well for them. Look, we talked about this last year. They're just loaded with good NBA players. They're like thirteen deep in good NBA yep. players, and. Interestingly, several of those players over the next couple of years, from Dylan Brooks, who they got at a good extension, to DeAnthony Melton, to Kyle Anderson after the season, will be free agents. And this front office has done an incredible job the last two or three years overall. I mean, the Justice Winslow trade is really the only move you That's can look at. That's the one with, yeah. And really, not that much harm, honestly. Um, a, lot, and, a lot of money, but yeah, in, in terms of assets given up, you know, they probably were going to keep Jay Crowder as, as much as he's help Miami and then and now Phoenix they probably were going to keep him so yeah it will be interesting to see how how if they can retain these guys on good contracts or if they fear they can't and and there's not that much cap space coming up in the next couple of years would they try to trade one like Kyle Anderson yeah. was a hot name that came up and, and and he hasn't you know his role is kind of really fluctuated he doesn't get the ball as much anymore that could be but look i i think I will preface this by saying I love John Morant. I have said many times I am a John Morant true believer. I He inspires his teammates. He's mm-hmm. everything you want in a franchise cornerstone. Having said all that, it is not entirely a coincidence that they have been a much better defensive team without John Morant and in this streak have held opponents to a ridiculously low points per possession figure for the season with Ja on the court, they're allowing 117 points per 100 possessions. That's like way worse than the worst defense in the NBA. With him off the court, 102. That's like trailing only Golden State. Look, again, he's just one guy, yeah. right? The team, and, and, and he has not gotten to play much with Dylan Brooks, who's the best perimeter defender on the team. And boy, will yep. he let you know about it. And he'll just punch you in the face or something. <laughs> um but so, so take it all with a grain of salt. But I yeah. do think the next step for John Moran is he's got to be much. He's got to be more competitive and steadier on defense. And when that happens, this team has a chance to be really, really good. Yeah, and then obviously the, there were two things: the defense and then uh, the the three pointer. He's been better from three this year. I think at least to where you're not going to go way under screens and just invite him to take those. The defense is the next step. The, the thing. God, there's just so much to love about John Morant. Obviously, the crazy athleticism, the way he sees the floor. 
Um, I think, you know, Damian Lillard compared his mentality to, to Dame as a young player. I definitely see, I think John Morant has just natural, terrific leadership ability. Big and, and John Morant is a Cajones factor first teamer, faux show. The guy and was, and was day one in the yeah. NBA. Yes, he is. He's, he, his confidence is sky. He's, he's not arrogant. But boy, he gets just gets right up on that border, and but he, he has the kind of confidence that lifts guys around him. And you no, know, he's there's not he's not going to be in a lot of spotlight situations playing in a small market like Memphis. But when he is, you know, playing games, look at his track record. You know, they they got bounced in five by the Jazz, but boy, did he blow up in that series. I mean, this guy, you know, when he gets a stage, he's going to be ready for those moments. And like you said, I wrote about it on Friday. Jaron Jackson Jr.'s last 10 games have been incredibly encouraging after a lost season due to injury and a slow start to this one. Looks much better defensively, including at center. Yeah. And when they get Ja going and they get Jaron Jackson Jr. playing center and they find the right three guys in between those two and, and maybe in Bain and Brooks, they've already got two of them. Yeah. That has a, that has a chance to be a very dynamic and difficult to play against team. Look, the the window the window isn't open yet. They've been very right. patient. They're playing for 2025 or 2024 at the earliest. But look, they're fourth in the West, and you can quibble with like they're only plus three for the season, despite a 73 point win, <laughs> which is which is amazing. But yeah. they're tough as hell. They're not going anywhere, and and they've played a really hard schedule. They, I think they played the six hardest schedule. They they've banked some wins here that I, they're they are. Before the season, they were like the consensus ninth in the West. Everybody that was like they were the hardest sort of penned in ninth yeah. in the West. I'll tell you right now, they've mucked up that playoff picture. If you're like a Portland or a Dallas or one of these teams that thought, oh yeah, or Denver's hurt, well, yeah. like you got to look at the Grizzlies and be like, uh oh, they're here. Well, you're looking up at them in the standings, and they're winning without Jaw. You know he's coming back, so yeah. And you know the the two biggest things this season for the Grizzlies is one. Desmond Bain has gone from, wow, that was a really nice pick at number 30 to, damn, he is a high-quality starter. And Jaron Jackson Jr. is, you know, it, look, he's starting to look like the guy who people thought was a good pick when he was picked right after Luka and right before Trey Young. He's, you know, he's, he's obviously got the size. He can shoot. He's got that athleticism. There's some fluidity to him. He hadn't put together just an extended stretch of, you know, 25-point efficient type performances, but you you see that in him. And I, I just, you know, he's going to be, he will determine whether the Grizzlies can emerge as a bona fide contender, not this year, like you said, a few years down the road, or not. Mr. McMahon, it's always good to see you. People can listen to you on the Hoop Collective every Thursday or every Friday now at Post, yelling and screaming at somebody or just playing referee between people yelling and screaming at each other. Your coverage of these teams and many other teams is second to none. I look forward to seeing you soon, and uh, it's always it's always pleasurable to see you from across the screen, my friend. Can, can I get one quick plug-in? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Friday, Mavs at Pacers. I will have a story detailing the end of Rick Carlisle's tenure in Dallas. Well, that makes me happy because Mavs at Pacers right now might be the single most boring <laughs> NBA game that could possibly exist. So read, I need read, some good juice read, there. Read the, read the story pregame. Find something better to do with your Friday night. <laughs> Mr. McMahon, I look forward to it. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. This is the story of the one. 
As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.